Well, I'm not sure what brought about such an introduction, but most of that was at least factually accurate. Um, God has brought us together uh, over these years. You never know when you retire exactly what that new life is going to be. And it's often seen with great trepidation. But the Lord has chosen to not release me from call yet. So until he does so, uh, I think I will continue to serve in whatever way he sees best. Which leads me to say to you, I have come to love this congregation, first and foremost because of the people you are. Secondly, because I genuinely appreciate your commitment and the path you have walked, both the hard times and the good times. And thirdly, because it is very evident that God is present in this place. It doesn't take a Christian too long before you begin to be able to see something's up somewhere or something you're in. It didn't take long before I could see that um, God was up to something here. And as he led you to the place where you finally took that big step and launched into this building, it all kind of began to come together. And that's exciting. And the other reason that I really love this place is there are similarities here with a 38-year ministry that are rather shocking to me. And uh, I love seeing others encounter the things that we encountered and that we had the privilege of, of being a part of. I want you to know that yesterday at Presbytery, you were mentioned in several places at several times in some of the group gatherings. There's anticipation for your movement into this facility. This becomes, for the bigger world, an image of ECO in this area that has been longed for, a thriving congregation. That's our word in the ECO, thriving. A thriving congregation building the kingdom of God. And uh, you're about that. We have a couple of other congregations that are a little behind you. And I'm happy to tell you that there are three, church planting is telling us there are three church plants that are not long before launching. So don't let anyone tell you the kingdom isn't growing. And don't let anyone tell you that God is not at work because he is. So this morning, and I'm grateful for, for Nelson's introduction, but most of all, he read the scripture uh, exactly as I would have read it, and I appreciate the emphasis that he placed. When I, over the years, would plan sermons, I would leave family and work and church and had an agreement that I could go to the most isolated place that I could find with four boxes of books, my Bible, and enough food to make it a week. And the Lord and I just lived together for a while. And that's the way I planned sermons. Some said, isn't that too much isolation? I said, you know, I've got to get with Jesus before I get with people. People mess things up. So I've got to get with Jesus first. So as, as I approach an individual sermon or a short series of sermons in various places, I kind of pull aside. I get away. 
And as I approached this Sunday after Nelson and I locked in the date, I found myself isolated. And I was, I was right in the midst of, of a number of things very crucial to getting a presbytery meeting going and all the drivel that that sort of thing has to have done that uh, you have to have, but it isn't kingdom changing. And um, sat in silence for a while. And the Lord spoke. And when a preacher says that, I don't know, but for me that is never a voice that I heard and looked for. But it's a sense in my gut that this is not to be toyed with. And so what the Lord said to me was, tell them what you wanted to hear. Tell them what you wanted to hear. Really, Lord? We began to launch into the opening of a new facility, and we discovered something that we never anticipated. We discovered that there was someone who didn't want us to succeed. We discovered in some painful ways that there was a reality that didn't want us to succeed. Satan used some painful things to complicate, to bring hurt and injury and even tragic death in a way that stood in our face. I could tell you stories that in some ways would betray confidences and difficulties, but I want to tell you this in a general term. I had the privilege of serving a congregation for 38 years that, as far as I remember, was united from the first day till the last day. Oh, we didn't always agree, but we were united. But six months before we went in that building, something happened that tried to break that unity. And it was painful. And it had the ability to disrupt everything. I don't think it had the ability to stop everything, but it did have the ability to disrupt it. And in a joint session and diaconate meeting trying to deal with this, a young deacon said, can I say something? And he said, don't you all get this? This is the evil one trying to stop what we're doing. And it was like the light came on. And it wasn't two days before the disruption was gone. Because people saw themselves as they were and they understood once again that God was in that place. And things moved forward. A lot of other things happened. Permit disruptions, um, false information going into the county. How did that get there? Well, it all got corrected and it all happened. Created some delays along the way. But then there came that magical date. And it was, it was the, what you're calling the soft opening. Now, we were, we were like 
junkyard dogs foaming at the mouth to get into this building. It had been long and hard. And I always, all over all the years, and on Sunday morning, got up very early and would go into the office very early. And I went in to the building, to my little office that was at the second campus, and I heard something down the hall. And I thought, that's water. And I walked down the hall, and ugly water met me in the hall. And it was coming from the women's bathroom. And a toilet had utterly exploded. And the whole sewer system had backed up and was pumping, pushing back into the building. Don't ask me how that happens. But I know how it happens. And a few phone calls and some hard work and no water in the building. Got it cleaned up enough. And we just said there's no water in the building. And we had the soft opening. And it was one of the grandest times we ever had. Hard times come, don't they? If I ask you to look into your lives, you could name hard times. You could point to times and situations and places that are just plain difficult. And in some ways, you're not sure how you get through them. Well, I want to tell you, you're in this season, and I want, to, I want to say to you what I wish somebody had said to me. Stay with the boat. Stay with the boat. What I mean is, don't let anything deviate you from the call that God has given you and the path that He's put you on. Because this is the precarious season. And I can promise you, I may not know what, I am not clairvoyant. I have no special word of knowledge for you this morning other than this. He will try. And He will try in ways that you see and in ways you don't see and in circumstances that you cannot anticipate, to whirl around and make ugly things happen, or difficult things occur, or what seems to be utterly impossible, stand right in front of you. Stay with the boat. How do you deal with hardships? Paul faced hardships his whole life, and, and really his whole career for Jesus. He wouldn't call it a career. He would call it his life. And here in this story, he has, he has seen the call. He's heard the call. He's been given the call. Stay with the boat. Keep going. It's an incredible story, this shipwreck story. And Pastor Nelson teed me up last week perfectly. He didn't know it at the time. But he led me to this place, and I want us to go deeper into this whole concept. Situation of the text is this. Paul is a prisoner on his way to Rome to stand trial and ultimately to be executed. Paul's warden, we might call him, is Julius, a kindly Roman centurion. 
placed on a ship destined for Rome, Italy, the focus of his ministry and dreams. Paul always wanted to get to Rome. I'm not sure he anticipated getting there, particularly in chains, but he wanted to get to Rome. And being a Roman citizen, Paul was constantly along the way granted certain things that those who weren't Roman citizens didn't get granted. He was allowed to take two companions with him along the way. So he took Luke and Aristarchus, a devoted brother from Thessalonica. Paul was treated well. In fact, he was allowed to get off the boat and disembark and visit friends in Sidon. But from there, the whole trip fell apart. It didn't go the way it was hoped. From Sidon, they set sail up around Cyprus. And rather than head straight to Italy due to the bad winds, they sailed west. Big mistake. They landed in Asia Minor. Complications. And Paul was then transferred to a large Egyptian grain ship. You see, even in the ancient days, Egypt had to get grain from other parts of the world in order to have flour to make bread and other necessities. So a grain ship was a large, heavy bottom ship. Not the best place for him to be in this situation. It was more stable, but it wasn't able to sail into the wind. It was just too heavy. It had to skirt the wind in order to make sail. So they were forced to take shelter in Crete, where they took shelter in Fairhaven. And in the ninth and 10th verse, it tells us that they were cautioned to stay in Fair Havens, but the captain decided that he, he was going to make it to Phoenix, about 40 miles. Well, that doesn't sound very far to us, and today that's no big deal. But in those days, with a ship belly full of grain, it was a big deal. And once they were underway, all the forces of hell itself broke against them. And I say that because it was all the forces of wind, but the wind in this case became the instrument of the evil one. So this is a ship that he didn't want to get to Rome. And the great sea battle of weather versus ship was full on. And in this case, weather won. It was two years before Christ was... Um, it was two years before Christ had um, told Paul, two years before, I'll get it right in a minute, had told Paul that he was going to argue for him in Rome. So Paul knew he was going to get there. He had no doubt he was going to get to Rome. It wasn't any question in his mind. If he's been told by Christ himself that he is going to go there and argue for Christ, preach the word, speak the word for Christ, Paul doesn't question that. So what's coming at him is simply something that is assailing him. Great waves were at it, and the ship was in trouble. But Paul was calm. Why would Paul be calm in such a situation? Well, one can only assume that he's heard the great stories of Jesus. 
And one can only assume that Paul surely has heard the story of Jesus and the disciples on the Sea of Galilee when Jesus says to the disciples, get in the boat and go to the other side. And being a follower of Jesus, they get in the boat and they start to the other side and the storm comes up and the waters are going to drown them. And Jesus comes and says what? Peace, be still. And the water is perfectly calm. Surely Paul has heard that story. Why would he worry in this situation about the storm coming upon the ship? The story of Paul's shipwreck in Acts 27 is, is an interesting story in a variety of ways, but it is also a teaching for us and for all believers who experience faithful living when the evil one begins to nip at our heels and when hard times come or when just the circumstances of living life get really difficult and really hard and we just want to quit, it speaks to us. And it is, is the true variety of ways for which the church family, the people of God, need to see how God is going to work when we don't see how God can work. Trials upon trials, frustrations, when the people of God sacrifice, put blood, sweat, and tears, and difficulty into life in order to get where they believe God is calling them, and then somehow along the way, these ugly things happen that begin to disrupt everything. How do we deal with that? Well, this shipwreck story is one that in many ways could only be properly captured by somebody like Cecil B. DeMille. Now, how many of you know who that is? Raise your hand. You're over 40 years old if you know that name. The great movie producer who could take the biblical stories and turn them into grand presentations in a day when computers didn't exist. But only somebody of such great scope and scale could take this story and make you see all that it has to say. Paul shouts to the ship in verse 21 and 22, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and this loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. So what does this story of Paul and the shipwreck say to us? I think it tells us the anchors that are there that Paul could hold on to and that we can hold on to. And if I can use that metaphor of an anchor, I'm using it because that's where, there's light, where life is solid and secure. And it says to us, when the storms and the frustrations, when the disruptions, when the difficulties, when the things that aren't supposed to be happening start happening, we find courage from an anchor that God is present. That God is here. God is in this place. God is present in this place. You know, we come to church on Sunday morning and we enjoy being together and we lo love to sing, even with a little country twang to it. And we love for worship to be engaging and even a little bit fun. And yet we know we're standing in the presence of the one who is 
the awesome God who created everything that is out of nothing. And we want to be here. But we tend to forget that God is also present. Not because of us. Not because of anything we've done. But because he has promised to be with his people. Paul says in this story, last night an angel of God, whose I am, whose I am, that's my God, an angel of the one who owns me. I'd love to bring one of the little children right up here and um, I'd love to bring my granddaughter Callie and put her right here in front of you and, and tell you how much her mama and daddy love her and how much her grandmama and granddaddy love her and how they own her and protect her and cherish her and will do anything for her. Give their, their last coin, their last ounce of energy and they will protect her with their lives. That's the way God is with you. He's present. He's right here. In the ancient city of Corinth, Paul heard, don't be afraid, Paul. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. And it, it is constantly in Paul's mind. Oh, that we would know that. When you wonder how to get through, and you look and you think, I'm, I'm just here by myself. We can't mount this mountain. We can't traverse the valley. We can't get there. God is there. You see, we have a lot of anchors out there. We talk about our knowledge and our skills and our ability to be positive and optimistic and, and we rationalize this and we rationalize that. But here's the big deal. God's in this place. And you know what? He's going to occupy a building. Because if he doesn't occupy it, you're wasting your time. And he's going to occupy that building because he is in your midst. And whatever the storms are, whatever the difficulties that come, whatever the frustrations are, Whatever the surprises along the way may be, now or later or next year or six months, in your life as an individual or in your congregational existence, get this, Jesus is present. Don't ever forget it. Secondly, I think Paul could be courageous in life in this moment because there was the anchor of God's ownership God owned him. He knew that he was possessed by his God. It wasn't just a collegial relationship. That he was owned and what he was about was owned. That this trip to, to Rome was not a vacation, a grand tour. It was what God owned and what God was doing. He said he saw himself as belonging to God and, and, and he belonged to God, and that trip belonged to God. A last, last night, an angel of God who, whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me. 
In other words, this is not just me. Do you ever think about the fact that you belong to God? Think about that. Your body, your life, your mind, your resources, your time. It belongs to God. It's just on loan to you. It's just yours to use as a gift and to manage that he might be glorified. It's like a child to a parent. There's not, pro- not, not property to be claimed, but that which is to be held and cherished and loved. Paul knew he was owned by God. Not just in association with God, but he looked to the one who ruled over him as the one who held everything there was in him and about him as his own. It changes how you see life, friends. It changes how you will view that building, that it's not really yours. Oh, you own the property. Title, the whole bit. Well, the bank does, but that's all right. You'll get there. But the fact is, God owns it all. And Paul was courageous in this this moment in life because he could see the anchor that came from knowing he was in service to God. The God whose, whose I am, who I belong, to whom I belong. Paul saw his life as in service to God and therefore all aspects, Roman citizenship, his education, his station, his place, all this was for the service of God. It's when we can look at life and where we are and what's happening to us and see that we need to remember that our call from the living God himself is to come and serve him. And these things which come upon us, hardships, pains, sufferings, anguish, conflict, whatever the case may be, Whatever these things are, we have to remember we are first in the service of God. That young deacon stood up in that meeting, and I'll never forget Tom's words. He said, come on, people. Don't be diverted. We have a mission to perform. We have to fulfill this service and do it, and do it faithfully and on time and to the glory of God. And these other things are minuscule. And he was right. So wherever we are, the monsters that may come at us have real teeth and real claws and can do real harm. But in the midst of that, we know that we hold an anchor just like Paul on a grain ship headed to Rome. That we are first in the service of God. And we will live that way and we will act that way and we will show that to the world and we will let the world see Jesus in us by the way that we live through those times and those moments and head toward His glory. And lastly, Paul could have courage in a shipwreck because he held an anchor that trusted God. You know, I just ask you point blank. Do you trust God? 
Or do you really think you're the one that's got to perform it? Paul announced to the ship, don't be afraid. Paul knew he was going to have to stand trial before Caesar. If that didn't make you quake in your boots, nothing would. Paul knew he wouldn't survive that. He couldn't. Not really. He called for the people of the ship to keep up their courage. For he says, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as it was told me. There comes a time for the people of God to hear the word of God and their experience of Jesus and to say, we believe that what Jesus has told us is the truth. And therefore we trust God over and in the midst of all that comes at us. After Paul's encouragement, things got worse, interestingly. It reminds us that in very candid ways that this business that we often are told by people that if we'll follow Jesus, life is going to be easy and copacetic and it's just going to be smooth sailing. Read Scripture and you're going to find out, follow Jesus and it's going to get harder. But when you trust Him who called you, you're secure. The plan was to kill the prisoners on board the ship They've struck the sandbar, the stern is broken open, kill the prisoners, be done with that, get on with their way, but the centurion persuaded them to spare Paul and the others. And they spared them all, and they went ashore ashore on parts of the ship. They were spared, as Paul had said. Amazing. Trusting in God is how we can be of great courage and only of great courage when we trust Him who has called us to Himself. You know, in a world that is so full of the threat of war, it's been a long time since in my deepest self I've seen the reality exist of the possibility. When we look at the disruption and the division in our own country and how divided we are, and we look at ourselves and we say, can we survive this? When we have mothers and fathers and wives and sisters and brothers in our congregation of military people who are deployed around the world, who are being given the word that they are now on ready, What do we trust? When we find we're fighting a disease that often wins, what do we trust? When we're doing God's mission and it gets delayed and there are frustrations that come, problems arise, who do we trust? We trust Jesus. Because everything we know And everything we're told and everything we've experienced has been consistently true. Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. And Paul knew that. And so must we. Storms frighten us for a variety of reasons, but most of all because they're fierce and they're real. But can you imagine the story told back in Egypt land? 
when the ship's grain, whatever was left, may have made it back there? Can you imagine the stories that were told in Crete as to what has happened? Can you imagine the stories that were told by those who carried the gospel into other lands and there were hard times and difficulties and wars and persecution? Well, dear friends, remember the anchors. God is present. God is present. God is the owner of you, your life, this church, your mission. Your call to serve, hold that service tightly because that is the call of your life. And have faith in Jesus. You can trust Him for He has never failed you. And He will not leave you nor forsake you. That's what I wish I had heard. Because that became the experience. So dear friends, listen to the words of Scripture. Trust in the great missionary Paul. And know as you take one foot and put it in front of the other and march on down this path, these are the anchors that will get you to the end. Which is nothing more, by the way, than the door to the next chapter. To God be the glory. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, your goodness is beyond our greatest imagination. And yet we confess our failing to listen, to believe, to walk, and to trust. So Lord, set us free from such failing. Let us walk in the certainty and the assurance that we can hold these anchors and whether it is in our life, in our situation as individuals, or as in this great church family as they march forward into the next phase. Hold them secure. That the anchors might make them secure. In the name of Jesus, amen.